is all corporations geared at your gay money. Hi, gay. Happy Pride Month. We are sashaying away with deals. This month at the Butter Shop, we're running a special deal. If you can prove that you're queer, you get three pints off your first, your, your choice of creamed, chucked, or drowned, drowned butter. And if you do mouth stuff, you get four. We love gay, and it's awesome. So come visit. And we also make candles now. Wouldn't a candle be nice for gay stuff? In the bedroom or just hanging out? Yeah, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. Your partner wouldn't. Hey, wouldn't your partner want butter? From the original old male's mate home? We've been making butter since 1945. And we've been accepting all people since the last four months. We're like butter loot. for you to come take a taste of Cecily's Butter Chop at Cecily's Butter Shop. My friend's mom, um, I think is, I think is gay. So we think it's cool. Turn it off, Willard. And that was brought to you by the many corporations that have rainbows right now. And then when the month of June is over, it's going to be off with their fucking heads. Or in the case of many conservatives waiting in the bathroom with that glory hole available, it's going to be tap the foot and I'll give you head. Yes. And that is brought to you by many Republican senators who are in the closet and want to get rid of gay marriage so they can continue to tap their foot. Thank you. And now on with the Dr. Zeus film podcast after these important gay messages. Or as we call it, Will and Grace, 
the prequel. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Happy Pride. I figured let's start off with something really gay. Now, it's it's not lost on me that Paul Rudd likes to play gay. He really likes to. My favorite was, was um, An Ideal Home, which is a really great film. Really funny. Him and Steve Coogan. And Steve Coogan is there together, and his, he has a son from an experiment that he did. <laughs> an experiment. And a grandson who comes to visit with a Bible filled with money and something else. I don't remember. And the grandson likes to go to Taco Bell. So this isn't Paul Rudd's first trip down the Rainbow Isle. Um, directed by Nicholas Hyde. Let's see. Nicholas Hidner. Nicholas Hidner. And written by Wendy Westerting. Westerting? Oh, I remember her. She was a playwright. Wendy Wasserstein. Wasserstein. I didn't know she wrote The Object of My Affection. You've got Jennifer Aniston, Paul Rudd, Alan Alda, Nigel Hawthorne, John Pacow, Tim Daly, and yes, Allison Janney. Interesting, isn't it? Social. I, lo- I love how the trailers from the 90s, Paul Rudd, Jennifer Aniston, in a film about making it, the object of my affection, coming soon to theaters, rated R. <laughs> rated R, okay. Um, came out in 1998, months before Will and Grace. Will and Grace, the pilot, I think, had already been done. But many people were like, oh, when Will and Grace came out, oh, they made a TV version of The Object of My Affection. <laughs> but see, the stories are similar. The stories are similar. You look at Will and Grace, they had a very codependent relationship. As did Nina and George. Or as he said, head up young person. Social worker Nina is a bright young woman living in a cozy Brooklyn apartment. Nina attends a party given by her stepsister, Constance, and her husband, Sydney. There, Nina meets George Hansen, a young, handsome, and a gay first grade teacher. Nina tells George that her stepsister is constantly trying to fix her up with somebody from higher society, completely ignoring the fact that Nina has a boyfriend. Vince, blah, blah, blah. During the conversation, offers George a room in her apartment as she has just heard from his boyfriend. Dr. Robert Jolie, Tim Daly. Tim Daly playing gay. Does Tyne Daly know? (sighs) This is fascinating because, you know, Tim Daly is the younger brother of Tyne Daly. Okay? And Tyne knows all too well about playing gay they had a very gay audience when it came to Cagney and motherfucking Lacey. I remember Cagney and Lacey because I was a little kid in the 80s. Back then, I didn't know what what we're talking about now was. And now when you look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, there kind of was a lesbian undertone. Oh, <sighs> my goodness. But then again, so was the facts of life. And Joe, remember that? Yes. Although with Blair, I wouldn't be surprised. So back to the object of my affection. This is an interesting film. You have real life 
gay actor Nigel Hawthorne who you know was coming off of the madness of King George and such a great Shakespearean actor you've got Jennifer Aniston still doing Friends I hate that show but anyway (laughs) I really do I really do I know a lot of you like it I've watched I used to watch Friends on mute and then I would wait for Will and Grace to come on this is a TMI but we're all friends here I used to put Friends on mute and download porn (laughs) and then I would wait for Will and Grace to come on or it was pornographic pictures I think yeah Yeah. you know a little this and that anyway anyway yeah so you know I do remember the episode with well who can forget because I think we all tuned in to see real life at the time husband of Jennifer Aniston Brad Pitt on Friends where his character hated Rachel and later that turned out to be reality but to the chagrin of other people they I guess are still talking but anyway back to the object of my affection you know this would really be Judy Garland's favorite movie because you know didn't she marry a couple of gay guys that's what I heard um or was that Liza probably Liza yeah this is a cute film and you know what you want you cannot have hence the um titled The Object of My Affection and you know Jennifer Aniston's character she's so in love with George and the codependency is right there and I remember watching it and thinking oh okay and I think I saw it Will and Grace had already been out and then you're kind of like oh hmm interesting yeah there's even a moment where they get hot and heavy and then he realizes I think they were watching Gene Kelly that's the wrong thing to watch (laughs) Um, here's a clip from the object of my affection
aren't they cute? Aren't straight people cute? They want you to marry them. <laughs> Talk about a rom-com gone bad or maybe awry. You know, I'll give it to Jennifer Aniston. Not a fan of Friends, but she, you know, great actress. Aside from the time she was in um, Leprechaun, the first movie. <laughs> and then Paul Rudd. Paul, I don't know what you're drinking. Rudd. Paul, Paul hasn't aged. Do you remember Clueless? And yes, he was a... Well, I, let's get real. He was better looking than a Baldwin. But remember that shit when she's like, oh yeah, he's kind of is a Baldwin. And now, 20-something years later, it's like, yeah, but he's better looking than a Baldwin. I mean, come on. Paul Rudd has not... Paul Rudd is one of those people where they say... Good jeans or good docs? Good jeans. Okay. Now, that's not the first time that Paul Rudd has played. I if if the, if someone could come up with a count of the times that Paul Rudd has played gay, because I know it's more than once. It's more than once. Um, this is from an ideal home, which is really funny and there's a lot more humping in it than the object of my affection uh, here we go so flat it actually makes her shorter sorry for that age it's completely flat everything alright totally fine what a large room the hell does that mean I hate her <laughs> See what I mean? How well, sometimes it's a thrill, and in this case, Allison Pill. Um, let's see. I mean, it's it's a cute movie. It's cute. It's funny. There's a lot of banter going on. They tried to make this home suitable for Bill. The grandson. And yeah. I mean. 
it's it's funny it's humor and sometimes you need that to kind of take the edge off but yeah there's there's always that question oh should straight people be playing gay well you know usually they want an oscar sean penn i'm talking to you other times they really want an oscar Charlize Theron, I'm talking to you. And and usually that includes gun and doing horrendous acts. And then it's like, mm, couldn't you have played like, I don't know, a superhero? Mm, yeah. I mean, there's always, you know, there's always talk, you know. Maybe Captain Marvel is really a lesbian. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? I mean... In a perfect world, maybe Bucky and Steve Rogers are more than just friends. I mean, yeah, that's that's the wonderful world of cinema. And if we could contact from the grave, the great Vito Russo. Vito Russo was a uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Vito, if you don't know who Vito Russo is, look him up. You're not going to learn about him in school. I didn't learn about him in school. I didn't even learn about Harvey Milk in school. And the funny thing is my government slash history teacher. Oh, no, I think he was just government. He's gone now. I'm, I'm pretty sure was gay. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, I learned about all this from PBS, but not you. So the late Vito Russo was an activist, best remembered for the book The Celluloid Closet, described in the New York Times as an essential reference book on homosexuality in the U.S. film industry. Yep. He was an advocate. He was he witnessed Stonewall riots in 1969, where they threw bricks. Um, he died in uh, 1990 of AIDS. And then later, his book, The Celluloid Closet, was turned into a documentary narrated by his good friend, Lily Tomlin. Now, Lily Tomlin and Vito Russo had a lot of fun. Um, in fact, she brought him one time. He had a show, and I think it was called The, uh, the Quiche of Peace. <laughs> now... Some of you are probably aware of Vito Russo because there's an award. People get this Vito Russo award and people are like, oh, but who was he? So if you dig into the depths of YouTube, you will find him. This is, he had a show called Our, was it Our Time? Yeah, Our Time in the 1980s. And here he is with his good friend, Lily Tomlin. Offering the quiche of peace. This is Vito Russo for our time in Cleveland, Ohio, where one of the most incredible ambassador of goodwill tours in America is taking place. Yes, it is. It's Mrs. Judith Beasley emerging from the limousine outside Keys Bar in Cleveland, Ohio, with a quiche in her hand, waving to the crowd, approaching the bar now, waving to waving to the many fans waiting for her. Mrs. Beasley, can you tell me why you've come to Keys in Cleveland, Ohio tonight? Well, uh, as you may know, it's been publicized in quite a few of the papers across the country. I am on a Goodwill tour as a Goodwill ambassador on behalf of the League of Concerned Citizens from Calumet City. 
City, Illinois, which is my hometown, and I'm so proud of it. This particular evening, I'm here on behalf of the heterosexual community doing community outreach to the, the homosexual community, uh, and I brought the quiche of peace, and I hope they'll accept it in the same spirit with which it's given. Is quiche a very popular dish in Calumet City? Well, it isn't. I'll tell you quite truthfully, a lot of us in Calumet City used to think that quiche actually caused homosexuality. Of course it doesn't. But Harold thought so too. It was years before I could get him to take a bite. You know, real men just don't eat quiche. I know they can't spell it. Well, I think I'll go inside now and see if I can't make a little headway in sort of unifying humanity through the breaking down of sexual barriers. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, the presentation of the quiche of peace. Do you think that was in the spirit in which it was intended? Well, I, they didn't act like they wanted me to come inside, did they? Well, maybe they don't want to be photographed. Well, you know, and I don't blame them. They're very vulnerable in this society. I think what we'll do, we'll just lower our cameras down about a foot and a half, and we'll go inside and leave them their anonymity. I've been persuaded. I don't know how they did it, but I've been persuaded to have a beer by myself away from home. I don't know what Harold's going to think, but I guess it'll loosen me up and enable me to converse and talk with these people on a more kind of personal and warm level. <laughs> See what I told you? That's Vito Russo with his good friend, Lily Tomlin. Now, sit down, because I don't know if some of you have heard. I have heard, because it's always been aware, that Lily Tomlin is a lesbian. Lily Tomlin has been open and out a long time. And I remember telling someone that in college, and they were stunned. You mean Edith Ann is a les? Yes. And I was reading, I think it was, she was being interviewed by um, Rosie and um, had talked about in the 70s. You know, in the 70s, you didn't do that unless you were Vito Russo. <laughs> and I'm not picking on Vito Russo or Freddie Mercury, you know. Oh. <sighs> Freddie, 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 Freddie. Freddie was interesting. And I've, I've often said that I hated the Bohemian Rhapsody film. I did. I did because they watered him down. And then my friend kept arguing with me. It's not about Freddie. But Freddie is the focal point. That's what I said. Okay. And originally, Sasha Baron Cohen was going to play Freddie Mercury. But he was really going to take it to the upper echelons because he was going to sow the orgies and the cocaine parties because Freddie Mercury liked to party. 
okay? He loved to party. Just ask Elton John. I mean, they all they knew all about it. And I guess the the backers of the film didn't want to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. I will say that the Elton John film Rocket Man <laughs> was much more interesting than Bohemian Rhapsody because they actually got an actor who could sing rather than lip sync um, Taron Egerton to play Sir Elton John and Sir Elton John is an open book and I love that story he tells where he, he you know he and he's lucky to be alive he didn't get AIDS he didn't die of drugs how one time he was so coked out and he was staying at a hotel and he phoned the front desk and told them to do something about the wind. That's when you're fucked up. Uh, now, as I was saying earlier, in the 70s, you couldn't be open. You couldn't be out. And so this is Lily Tomlin talking to Rosie O'Donnell about those times in the 1970s. Or yes, the 1970s are known as the Libertine Era Everyone was having sex with everybody. All right. How was your family with your being gay when you were, like, how did you tell your family back in a time when people didn't talk about it? Well, uh, well, my brother's gay, too, so. Me, too. I have a gay brother. Yeah, so we'd already gone through that. And, oh, uh, he's older than you. No, he's younger, but. Uh, Came out first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, he used to wear my bathing suit top, you know, a little bit of a giveaway, kind of. Okay. And uh, but it was hard. It was hard for my my mother particularly because she was religious. Yeah, because she's basically was religious, and I. But I think she was more concerned that you know the rest of the family would somehow be critical or or I you know suffer in some way because she was always you know she loved my she was always loving with me and my brother, sure. and we always had total fun with her and. Uh, and she's always been real loving with Jane. Right. So, um, and then she lived before she died for many, many years with my brother and his partner. Oh, really? Yeah. So even though and he was, uh, he was, he, she, he had known, Michael had known my mom since he was a bag boy at the supermarket in Paducah. Your, your brother's partner? Right. And is he with him for a long while as oh, well? Oh, yeah, like 25, 26 years. Or something probably. Maybe longer. How you were raised, maybe, right? I don't, I don't know. There's something kind of, that's not very normal. And, and in a good way, it's sort of, very touching yeah yeah do you are you surprised as i am i'm 50 years old i'm surprised at how it's changed in terms of oh it's stunning when mike when i was on tv in the 90s no one even asked it wasn't even a time oh no no they would never no even though people sort of oh but i but we were pretty i mean i've even had people say to me when i was working on when jane and i were doing specials one of our writers who was a really terrific person and she said to me you know i think you and jane could come to work in different cars and keep I, it on the QT. Yeah, and I said, well, why would we do that? And she said, people are talking. You know, but they always talked. I never, I just, uh... It was um, never really a secret. No, no. But how society has changed. But I, yeah, that, that, it, that it's even possible for it to be. And that's really due to, to Ellen in large part. I agree. Absolutely. Without a doubt. When you think like Neil Patrick now and, you know, to be the star. It's staggering, and, isn't and it? A, right. It's a, a ladies' man even. I'm the star of this hit show and have a partner and children. And it's all okay. <laughs> I know. Right? I know. I know.
it's uh, it's really I've been so proud of that whole generation, you know, Me too. that have um, just refused not to be acknowledged. Right. And, and when you think of the kids now in high school, right? There are kids in high school saying, "This is who I am, and I want to bring this partner to the prom." and standing up in a way that I wouldn't even have conceived of in high school. Yeah, it wouldn't have seemed possible. No. And so that's Rosie O'Donnell and Lily Tomlin talking about the difference between then and now. Okay. Where now it's it's more much more of an open thing. I remember I was talking to someone and they told me something about themselves and I went, "Oh. Cool. Cool. Okay." And so, yeah, it's it's such a, it, it, you know, and then I think of someone I love, I love heavy metal, okay? Heavy metal is a very masculine, very jock. Well, not very jock, but, you know, some jocks like it. And The Godfather, well, not Ozzy or Lemmy. I know, don't, don't go there, don't go there. But Mr. Rob Halfred of Judas Priest, who is about to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I am looking right now. I have Rob Halford's book, Confession. It's an autographed copy. Um, you know, Rob Halford was always sending us uh, <laughs> messages. I mean, think, think, of, think of some of the songs, okay? Ram It Down, Turbo Lover. Come on, come on. I I love Rob Halford's story and that he was able to finally talk about it. And um, but the book, the book is just fabulous. Okay, that is that is an awesome book. And uh, let's see here. Yeah. Oh, I love this. This is this is. I, I, I want to let's focus on something hilarious. This is a, a photography special where Rob Halford is sharing photos. Like I have over the years. 
I remember this photo because that was a pretty dramatic entrance. A Harley Davidson bursting through some classic iconic Marshall 100 watt stacks. He was so fucking spinal tap. I'm sure that's where they took that idea from. How more metal can you be than to cover the stage in Marshall stacks and, and amps? I think this is from Hammersmith Odeon or maybe Castle City Hall or something like that. That was in my page boy hairstyle years. <laughs> spandex. You have to have the spandex. The studs are there though. Me with a beer. I stopped that 30 odd years ago. That looks like uh, Ram It Down time, I think, around the time we did the Osmaster. That's my old house that I used to live at. In the Midlands, yeah, just uh, just in, in Walsall, yeah. Where I've still got a still got a home. This was a council house where you paid rent, you know, to the council. Like public housing kind of thing. But the neighbours were quite used to me just, just peep behind the net curtains. It's that Halford again, look what he's doing, what's he got on today? So that's that's a that's got a lot of a lot of internal memories for me. I don't know I don't know where we were going with this. It's like GQ. That was the painkiller too, because we're looking at that painkiller jacket, which has mysteriously disappeared. I don't know where that went. I'm pretty sure that was a uh, Ray Brown creation, you know, Ray Brown who makes a lot of makes all the priest clothes. But uh, yeah, that's on Copacabana Beach. This is a good pick. It's just Hammersmith Odeon is like Britain's Madison Square Garden. It's just so rich in history. Every band has played there, you know. And uh, but we're obviously doing breaking the law so that would probably be 80 81 i was going to put that on my instagram that one that, that's just uh, that's the, me hitting the note only dogs can hear that's the turbo tour one of our most successful tours ever and we didn't make a penny because we had this gigantic stage set and we had an enormous amount of trucking and busing and everything and there was some trickery going on in the accounting side of things and we were selling out every night pretty much in the states and then we came to look at the money and there was nothing left. You're fucking kidding me? We've just been, we've just sold a sold out American tour. Nothing left. We show, show, show us the figures. Figures, expenditure, income, expenditure, income, expenditure. Zero, 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 zero. Defenders of the Faith with the uh, Italian creature. At the start of the show, there's a big flash of flame and stuff and I step out from behind that creature's mouth. And then this, this foot thing actually was came down you know it was a bit like stonehenge <laughs> but where that whereas their stonehenge was little us ours was so big we got the drummer up there dave pollock and he's like i can't even see you let alone hear you because you, you know it was it was about 50 feet up in the air dave can you play a bit louder i'm playing as loud as i can you know just one of the opposite of stonehenge it was too big You know, when you came to America in the 70s, you just stayed in the Holiday Inn with the orange carpet, you know. The maids would bang on your door at 7 a.m. You've got to get out, and you've only been to bed for like an hour. That was the place where every band stayed, everybody stayed at the Holiday Inn. Um, can you make me an outfit that's a bit like a Roman gladiator? You know, like that thing with the shield. Can you make me one of the colors and stuff? Yeah, sure. That'll be £150, please. This is hilarious. Tour de France metal version my god look how thin i was i went to ride my bicycle i went to ride my bike it's before fat bottom girls and the greenhouse that i tried to grow pot in and it just wouldn't grow 
The interesting about the house behind me is that that was the house that the great late Maurice Jones, who invented Monsters of Rock, lived. He was my neighbour. His wife still lives there. I still live in. I've still got this place. And Maurice came to me one day and he goes, "I've got this idea to put together this festival. It's just going to be for metal and rock bands, and I'm going to put it at this raceway called Castle Donington." And nobody else was doing that. He really was a game changer in, in the way festivals went. And I think Priest played the very first one. Even then, there was about 15,000 people. Everybody showed up. The backstage was nothing. It was just straw and a few other trailers. That looks like Monsters of Rock, isn't it? That's the um, Albert Mother entrance. But this photo of Schenker and, uh, and me backstage, that's a great picture. What am I pointing at? The stage is that way, Michael. This is brilliant. It just says it all. And that was one of the very first ever Monsters of Rock. It's almost like the, the, the US Festival. Why is Glenn eating a ice cream cone lollipop thing? What is that? <laughs> well, thank you for that journey through my yes. life. I now feel like three, like two karma. Three thousand years, years of metal. And so that's Rob Halfred. Of Judas Priest. These are actors, singers, characters, straight people playing gay, real gay people. And so, as always, unpleasant dreams. <laughs> <laughs> 